Heartly welcome. It's a privilege to welcome you all to this podcast episode of The Four Speeches. So uh, I'm Bård Nordheim and Professor of Theology at NLA University College. And as always, I'm joined with my colleague, uh, Joar Haga. Uh, today's theme is um, apology. Or we've actually had a podcast about the apology previously, but this is about sort of collective apologies. And in particular, the Apology to the Stolen Generations, uh, the apology given in February 2008 in Australia. And we'll come to our guests from Australia quite soon. But you are, um, how is your uh, Eurovision uh, interest breeding or uh, growing? Well, it's... Um, the Eurovision largely, Song Contest, that is. So I'm largely ignorant. I, I find it um, a hobby for children and women okay thanks so we move <laughs> so we moved to australia so for some strange reason australia joined the eurovision song contest in 2015 um so graham stanton uh, welcome to the podcast your lecturer in practical theology at ridley college in melbourne and uh, was that a sort of a national victory for australia when you joined the eurovision in 2015 or was it sort of largely ironically uh, received what how do people relate it well well all the children and women were very excited um, <laughs> but, but a lot of the men as well um, eurovision is huge here um uh i i don't know why i think i think it's maybe we just we're just all dags like we uh, you probably don't know what that word means we're all into that sort of um uh, crazy stuff but there were a whole lot of people that probably thought this is ridiculous. Yeah. It probably is a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. But it seems... But it's uh, fun, you know? Yeah. This year, 2021, uh, as we... Uh, you, you, you've been eliminated, just eliminated in the semifinals. So, uh, but will people still follow the Eurovision uh, the sort of final? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People, people you know, uh, are up in the middle of the night watching television. Yeah. Um, I was late to church a couple of years ago because we had to wait for the final and, and uh, um, you know, all that voting. Yeah. And is the they, Eurovision they Song Contest yeah. sort of shaping your image of European countries? So all we know about Sweden is taken from uh, their Eurovision entries or all we know about Norway for that sense. Uh, and uh, it would be interesting then to hear the uh, Australian sort of... Uh, prejudices about the different sort of uh, this is how I mean you have a, a map of Australia behind you but it would be interesting to have a sort of Eurovision map of Europe based on the uh, Australian outlook of Europe and you're, thoughts on you're that? telling me that you're telling me that you guys aren't like the Eurovision bands that you, don't, <laughs> you all don't run around in tight spandex or with um, uh, uh, you know wind machines blowing your hair now the Swedes, I think the Swedes use wind machine quite frequently, also in the daily life. But I think for, yeah. So, um, and I'm sorry to break because it to you. Australia's love with of Eurovision goes back to ABBA. You know, like ABBA were huge here, so we've got a very soft spot. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, let's sort of shift gear and shift focus. Um, earlier this month, uh, earlier in May 2021, on the yeah, very beginning of May. The Mexican president, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, um, he uh, apologized to indigenous Mayan people for abuses committed against them over the five centuries since the Spanish conquest. Uh, he focused in particular on the case war revolt and in, in which around 250,000 people are believed to have lost their lives. So, and these are the words he spoke. We offer the most sincere apologies for the Mayan people for the terrible abuses committed by individuals and national and foreign authorities in the conquest during three centuries of colonial domination and two centuries of an independent Mexico. And he, he was also then joined with the Guatemalan leader, Alejandro Guillermate in the Southeast state of Cuentano Ru. So that was Mexico just recently. And um, it's not the first of uh, apologies given by state leaders to indigenous people or First Nations. Uh, in 2008, 2009, several apologies were, were given both in Australia and Canada, uh, New Zealand and uh, the US, and we'll return to them earlier on. But uh, 
Graham, I would like you to tell us a bit about the apology that was given by the Estonian, no, no, the Australian Parliament back in yeah. 2008, in February the, the 13th, the 12th, I think it was, uh, by Kevin Rudd. And uh, uh, 26th of May, 26th of May. Yeah, it's uh, still every every year we mark National Sorry Day, which is the 26th of May as the anniversary of that uh, of that speech. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the, the contrast with the Mexican apology, you know, when I hear them talking about apologising for five centuries of, um, of colonial um, uh, oppression, um, Australia, uh, Australia's colonial history is not that long. So um, the, the settlement in 1788 um, was the first settlement from, uh, from Europeans. But the specific thing that was being apologised for was this government policy of the forcible removal of Aboriginal children uh, from their families. And that those laws were enacted from 1910 and continued up until 1970. Uh, and during that, during that period, it's estimated that between 10 to 30% of, uh, of all Aboriginal children uh, were taken uh, from their family and then shipped off to, uh, to missions, to other uh, sort of uh, homes, Many run by churches, but others run by the government. Um, and so it was this, I guess, a fairly recent type, type experience. You know, 1970, I was alive. I wasn't very old, but, uh, but it's part of my um, I lived uh, experience in that sense. And there are Aboriginal people today that, that have these stories, either their own stories of, uh, of being taken uh, or stories that they heard from their, uh, their parents or, or grandparents. So it was, it was that that the, the specific apology was being uh, given for. So it was 10 years earlier, back in 1997, that the government uh, had a national inquiry into this uh, policy of removing uh, children. And the final report of that was released um, in, uh, in 1997, a report called Bringing Them Home. And uh, it contained a lot of these personal stories that were they were they were awful when when you hear about them of of, of little children uh, you know in their camp and and knowing that the government uh, trucks are coming and parents telling them to run and hide in the riverbank but then being uh, you know uh, hunted down found torn away from parents um, and put in the back of a truck and, and carted off you know so so hor horrible horrible stuff um and when that report was released in 97, there was uh, two of the key recommendations were one for a national apology to be made uh, to the victims of the stolen generations and, and for reparation uh, to be made. So leading up to uh, Kayrad's uh, apology, there was, uh, there was a lot of political debate in the country about uh, whether to do this or not. So Why a number wasn't of the why wasn't it offered in '97 uh, uh, straight away well, after the report? Yeah, um, it was a it was a conservative government that was in at the time, and their their response the 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 report didn't have binding; they were just recommendations. Yeah. and you know the the argument, I guess the argument was that uh, an apology would be too negative a way of thinking about you know, Australian identity and culture. This would be, the phrase was, this would be a very black armband view of history. Or generally it was this criticism that um, uh, we would fall into a black armband view of history that would uh, be identifying all these things that were bad in a way that would overshadow things that were actually good and and also things that were well-intentioned. So that was, that was part of the argument that, you know, the governments of the day, they were, the argument run, uh, they, they were doing this in the best interests of Aboriginal children. You know? So if, if you believe that here you've got a child who is born in a dying race, a dying culture, um, this culture is, is, is uh, done, they've been overwhelmed by this uh, um, uh, colonising force, and the best thing that we can do for these children is to rescue them from, uh, uh, from that context uh, so that they can be, now they can be educated, they can be civilised and they can be assimilated into white Australia. Um, 
this was this was in their very best interests. Yeah? Um, uh, and like no doubt, there were people that that within the the sort of the confines of the culture of the day, they were trying to do the best for for these children. You know, um, and and it could have been worse. The the policy could have been to uh, to take the children and then slaughter them on the way to. Uh, to, to a settlement, which they didn't do. But still, as we look back, we see that these, these were explicitly policies that were uh, geared around this idea that uh, the Australian Aboriginals would not survive, that they, they were not going to survive, um, and therefore we'd rescue children. Yeah. Um, if we now look at the actual apology, the text or the, 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 the speech, uh, you are. In, uh, just one thing, in, in our book about the four speeches, uh, every leader has to know, we, the apology is not one of the four speeches in, in a strict sense. Uh, it's there, but uh, we revisit it when we look at Clinton's apology after the Mon Monica Lewinsky uh, case in 1998. Uh, and then it's um, as a, what could have become a farewell speech, but which is a sort of uh, apology and which uh, is part of what ensures him still a place in office. But these apologies are different. What, so, uh, what sort of speech acts do you think these state apologies are given by a head of state? Uh, if you... Well, yeah, well, um, they are part of, I think, the... the um, it's, 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 an, it's a judicial speech it's a it's a verdict it's a it's a kind of a trying to put an end to a certain uh storyline or or to to solve it to 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 sort of lose tensions within society and um i think it 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 is similar to what a judge says um at the end of the negotiations that we 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 uh, can listen to in the courtroom. In some sense, it's a forensic speech that, that a forensic awaits speech. a verdict. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so but, but uh, it's a. But I, I think it it is um, it it has a, a different uh, uh, tone to it because in a forensic speech, what you what you're trying to do is to 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 make it your own case in in a in a battle of history so to speak but in an apology the the outcome is in some sense not in all senses of the word but in some sense it's a given it's you are you are sort of framing yourself in the in a public space as a loser as a as the one to blame i i think that's a that's a very you're you're portraying you're you're revealing yourself as a sinner and that is, I think, the the essence of of the apology. It, it's also what what makes it so demanding because it's it's not the 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 um, the usual uh, attempt to portray yourself as virtuous. It's it's the opposite. Yeah. So in some and sense, I mean, directly. Yeah, sorry. Well, that that sense of acknowledging that these painful things have happened. Yeah. So that's the first not arguing. Thing. Yeah, not arguing your own case, but it's acknowledging that others have argued their case and I'm forced to agree and, and recognize, yeah, this did happen. This did happen to yeah. you. I think, Graham, that, thank you for, the, for, these, uh, for this um, uh, remark because it reminds me that it has two aspects. The first is what has happened? I mean, it's a question of reality. Hmm. This has happened. But then the second comes... Who is responsible for it? And then the and then the the um, sort of the, the the revelation of yourself as the the one to blame for this reality that comes to play as the second uh, element in this. Um, Traditionally, uh, you are uh, for those who've researched both uh, business apologies and state apologies. They speak about the three A's of these apologies, first admitting to some sort of culpability, uh, a sort of remorse element, 
and then the acknowledge telling the story of the the of not of the perpetrator but of the victim acknowledging that story and then the actual apology uh, so the three a's admit acknowledge apologize but the the tricky question here is that apology directly translated as a speech in in self defense so here you uh, you still uh, you do not speak as the judge uh, you speak in you, you sort of, uh, you await the response. And as a prime minister, you're responsible, but not responsible. Do you see what I mean? Uh, so so that, that's the, that's a tricky thing here. And you, Graham, spoke about this being quite recent as an important thing in comparison to the Mexican uh, apology given by the Mexican president. Because um, if we now look at the actual apology, uh, which um, Kevin Rudd and uh, he made a movement to the Australian uh, Parliament and uh, uh, and apologized. Then, for the first, he honored the indigenous people of this land, the oldest continuing cultures in human history. We reflect on the past mistreatment uh, and particularly those of the stolen generations, uh, a blemished chapter in our nation's history. And now the time has come to turn a page, and then the actual apologies come. We apologize for the laws and policies of successive parliaments and governments that have inflicted profound grief, suffering and loss on these our fellow Australians. And then we apologize especially for the removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children from their families, their communities and their country. And, uh, and then later on, he says, we acknowledge the past and laying claim to a future that embraces all Australians. And, and then this sort of, uh, apology moves from the admittance to the acknowledging the apology and then the sort of future vision of what uh, Australia could be after this apology. Hmm. What more and is there to say about the text? Or, were you there? Do you remember sort of the when it was spoken out? Uh, I, I, was not, I was not there in Canberra, but there were events around the country. Um, okay. That uh, in public events that that this would be uh, screened and people went to to big events uh, to watch it, lots of places uh, around the place. Um, uh, I don't I don't remember actually being in in one of those gatherings, um, uh, but I certainly remember that this was you know it was all across the news and and everything else of course. Um, you know that that acknowledgement and the, and the telling of the story. You know the the apology itself is is fairly short. Um, then the, he followed up with a twenty minute speech, sort of explaining bits of it, and and in that he told more of the stories, um, some specific stories. Um, but certainly that was one of the big impacts on the way it was received by. Uh, um, Members of the stolen generations who are who are still alive. That it was like now my my experience has been validated. That like this did happen. That they they acknowledged that this happened. So that was really significant uh, for people. And uh, as you said, I guess th there is that sense of cost of acknowledgement and saying, yeah, this is this is part of Australia's history. Which is which, of course, that was what people were sort of resisting that that to make this acknowledgement would be uh, a negative reflection on Australia's history or, or it would be a, a negative reading of the history and therefore, I don't know, I guess sort of hinder our movement forward. Acknowledging it was something that he was saying was going to help us move forward. And I think at the, at the time it had that, that sort of sense and received in that sort of spirit. But it... So his intentions or the intentions of his government was in general well received because that seems to be a, um, a very tricky thing about apologies because part of the critique of the Mexican president, uh, I mean, it, it's been commented that it was not a, entirely surprising that uh, uh, Mr. Obrador, this president, made this official ap apology to the main people because he's made his name as a vocal activist for indigenous rights in the home state of Tabasco. But he was critiqued because this was just pre-election and, mm. uh, and some people saw it as sort of a strategic step to make. Uh, well, people, for... saw, people saw this in a similar sort of way 
yeah. in that this was Kevin Rudd's election policy. Um, so they were campaigning and saying, this is, this is what we'll do. So they, um, uh, they did sort of take a position in, in opposition to the, to the government of the day and said, we'll be different, we're going to do this. So there, there was some political mileage in the campaign, I guess, in the doing of it at the beginning of his um, uh, government. If they hadn't done it, they would have been absolutely uh, pilloried. Um, but interestingly, the, the leader of the opposition made a response to the apology and sort of affirmed it. But in his speech, he added a dimension where he talked about some of the social dysfunction in Aboriginal communities. And rather than saying, here, here is Aboriginal people as victims of a, a, a wide Australia and government policy, it, it really began to touch on um, Aboriginal people as both victim and offender. Yeah. And that did not go down well at all. No, he was booed at, wasn't it? From what I read, uh, Brandon Nelson, the opposition leader for sort of uh, making this a, a, a totally different speech then in some sense. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And, and I think it was, it was just a misreading of the, of the situation. Like, a, you know, um, uh, no doubt, like the, those realities of uh, dysfunction in a lot of Aboriginal communities is true, but it wasn't the occasion to do it. And so he didn't read that terribly well at all. Yeah, he was booed. People people turned their backs on him. And so there's been this ongoing thing that uh, the the left wing of politics in Australia tends to be much more pro-Indigenous rights and the right wing much more resisting Indigenous rights. And so right now we, we've got a conservative government again. And there was a, another uh, a call from Indigenous leaders back in 2017 um, to uh, enshrine an Indigenous voice to Parliament, so uh, uh, an institutional uh, structure that would uh, bring Indigenous opinion um, to, uh, to issues of national debate. And those requests have been steadfastly resisted by the government. They're saying, no, this is not, this is not going to happen. Um, and again, the uh, left wing of politics is saying, you know, elect us and we're going to, we'll pursue these things. So it, it is a highly politicised uh, issue, like, I guess, like most things. Yeah, but you are, what do you think about this issue of the, uh, sort of the, those who receive an apology, they would always, well, not always, but often be quite uh, sceptical of the intentions of the one giving the apology, uh, or sort of the role of the, I mean, one thing is the intention that you claim to have. The other thing is the perceived intention uh, among the audience. Yes, um, but the, the hard thing about intentions is that you, you cannot see them. So uh, what you see is what, in, what is on display. And this is the... If it's if it's um, if it's Boris Johnson in in uh, in Great Britain, people some people will question his motives, um, as they did with Donald Trump in in the United States. But um, seen from a rhetorical perspective, it's very hard to to. Uh, to find a true intention, it's it's a it's a and 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 many people I think um, do not share the same suspicions as um, we do or that some groups do, and I think the performative act has certain formal features that sort of display the the reality because that's the, uh, I think Graham. Uh, pointed to it um, did this happen and if it happened and people in, in charge or in, in representing a certain uh, political body when they say it really did happen I hear and, and I, I see and this is what it is it, it makes an impression whether they, their intention is good or bad that's, that's not that's not so important. We we see that also in the courtroom when the ver when the verdict is read aloud by the judge. We don't ask whether she is really meaning the words, be because they the in 
the, the intention is not so important. Yeah. And I think it is confirmed with the, with the, um, with, with the hearings after the apartheid um, policy in South Africa that what really mattered for people were to, to come forward and tell their stories because they became public, not just mm. private. And this move from private to public, I think that's, that's a very powerful one. So, so the, you know, one of the things that the speech was criticised for is that it stopped short of mentioning anything about reparation. And that was one of the other recommendations of the Bringing Them Home report, that uh, both an apology and reparation be made, um, is that, that sense of, I mean, a friend of mine always says, uh, to say sorry means you're going to change, you know, um, and the speech has got this sense of uh, we, we want this to be the, a point from which we can now write a new chapter, turn a new page, um, uh, start building a new Australia. You know? um, but uh, but that, that's, that's sort of fairly vague, I guess. I, I guess my, my question rhetorically, you know, where, where does that, and this is what I'm going to do, uh, where does that fit within, within an apology? So the, the, um, the sincerity of the description hints uh, um, on, on many things. It, 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 you, can, you can analyze the verbs or the adjectives or, or the nouns being used mm. to describe it. And many times um, words will reverberate through the process, the, the, the after process. So if, if very strong words have, have been used, I think um, the, the, the reparations, that, as, you, as you name them, the, the, the change that follows an, an apology will sort of link to these words used, being used. So it's, it's a very delicate thing to, if you use strong words, it binds, they, they bind you, so to speak. Hmm. It's difficult it, to, 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 to speak of a genocide and and then act as if not, not nothing has happened. Yeah, but I, I wonder if what we're touching on now is the the cost of penance. So so, so what's the cost mm. of apologizing? Or, or as you said with your friend, if you say sorry, uh, we expect you to mm. change, or we expect you to do something to prove that this costs something, uh, or mm. else. Um, so when I was talking about intentions, it was not the as you say, well, we can't see the intentions, but it's the it's the perceived intentions among the audience. So they will. And then it was interesting that you mentioned uh, Donald Trump and uh, and Boris Johnson because they come with a particular ethos. Uh, so and and so did probably Kevin Rudd and uh, for sure John Howard, the uh, the prime minister before that. So so if you're a judge in a court of law, you're more you come with an ethos that belongs to your uh, your office uh, more than just your politics in some sense. Uh, and if we see it, if we look at some uh, apologies that hasn't been that successful, when the just a few um, in the same year in 2008, the Conservative Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper, stood before Parliament in the House of Commons and delivered also an official statement of apology, uh, which was got a much, much more mixed response, it seems. It was a very similar one thematically. It also had this yeah. report leading up to it, but it led to that Justin Trudeau uh, gave another apology in 2017 on the tw 24th of November, uh, in, where he started by crying and uh, sort of entered into another ethos. And Trudeau in himself has another political ethos um, that was perceived otherwise than the Conservative Prime Minister back in 2008. So I think here, uh, so one thing is the intentions, and then the hard stuff is the, the penance part, the cost. Yeah. I mean, one option would be to ask simply to acknowledge the dialogical or sort of uh, aporetic nature of uh, apology you don't know what the response will be that's what i mean by apparatic you don't know how it will be received so you can ask what can we do to mend this simply 
That's most politicians wouldn't risk that. They wouldn't risk just ending their speech with the question. So if you look at uh, Kevin Rudd's speech, it ends with a vision of the yeah. future Australia. Uh, and, and he has the he has the response, like in the middle, we we the Parliament of Australia respectfully request that this apology be, re be received in the spirit in which it is offered as part of the healing of the nation. So it's, it's interestingly, that's, that's the, the only um, uh, imperative uh, in it is, is to the victim, we want you to do this. We want you to, to, to receive this in, in the spirit it's, it's made. Um, but in terms of the, the action of the people who are doing the apology, the only thing I can really see is the the line, um, uh, you know, we're taking the first step towards a future where this parliament resolves that the injustices of the past must never, never happen again. Um, interestingly, even it's the, the, the word, the injustice of the past must never, never happen again. Um, not that they will not ever happen again. It's not like we're saying, this is what we're going to do to ensure that they don't. We're yeah. just making an expression now these are terrible. They really must not happen. I can, so I can understand why people would look at this and say, for, for all the good that was done, and, and no doubt there was, like that, that acknowledgement, as you are, you're talking about the, the sort of words chosen, you know, um, uh, governments have inflicted profound grief, grief, suffering and loss, um, pain, suffering and hurt, um, you know, apologising especially for the removal um, of, uh, of children from their families, their communities, their country. You know, there, there, there is a sense of uh, depth and breadth in what's being acknowledged. I think that's the real strength of what's being done here. But I, I wonder if the problem with talking about reparations straight away is that money is dirty. And this mm. uh, style of speech is it not necessarily uh, uh, fully in the grand style all the way, but it's sort of ceremonial it's um, uh, using big words uh, as you just mentioned so uh, mm. if if the, then the, the prime minister would say after a future where all australians whatever whatever their origins are truly equal partners with equal opportunities and with an equal stake in shaping the next chapter in the history of this great country australia and then just uh, two seconds pause and then he would say and now to reparations uh, i suggest that we offer it would sort of kill the moment in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, uh, totally. but, 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 but it's a real dilemma because in Norway with uh, children who went to mission boarding schools, uh, they've been frustrated. They had a similar process of a report acknowledging the experiences, a formal apology by mission leaders, and then actually a, a number of uh, court cases where they've tried to file um, a case against the mission organization that they were responsible for the abuse of these uh, res residential schools. And so far, uh, uh, the, the mission organizations have won, to put it in quotation marks. But, it, but it's a different thing. How, how do you, you are, what do you think? What, how do you address the, the, the issue of the cost or, or reparations within an apology? Yes. Um... There are, um, it's part of, of, of the political solution in a sense. And, and I, I don't think money is that dirty. Uh, you could say if it's framed as a compensation, it's, it's, it's sort of dirty. If you look at it as a payment for, for, for irreparable uh, damage. But as a structural so, so, uh, solution to the, for example, in Norway, the the um, the um, erection of a of a Sami parliament up in north with limited, but but with a very strong cultural, uh, limited political influence, but strong cultural significance. That was a as a that was a seen as a as a structural component of of the attempt to reintegrate because the, the politicians face the, the, the real challenge is of course that the indigenous people and their rights 
they go contrary to the whole political system in itself. And not only as a sort of a, a power struggle, but also it, it goes to the heart of the democratic uh, issue itself, namely the, the, the question of property. And I cannot imagine any politician in Norway, for example, that would give up, say, national sovereignty or something. You know, the, the whole idea that you own the land, I, I, I cannot imagine. But, but that's where the real problem lies. And therefore also, the, the, the apology speech has limits. Hmm. But uh, you are, it was interesting that you should mention the, the Sami parliament and the rights of the indigenous peoples in, in Norway at the third seating of the Sami parliament in October 1997, the king of Norway, King Harald V, he spoke at the opening of the Sami parliament. And there he's, uh, he said that the Norwegian state is founded on the territory of two people, uh, the Norwegians and the Sami people. And today we have to apologize for the injustice that's been done by the Norwegian state, uh, inflicted on the Sami people through a strong Norsification, I don't know the exact term, or uh, uh, trying to make, make them Norwegians then over several centuries, starting with the mission organizations uh, in the 18th century and onwards. And uh, that speech was uh, really well received in the Sami community in Norway, um, probably because the king was the first to do it. And they also said, we trust the king. Uh, and for one, the king is not up for re-election. Uh, so but it, I think it was this acknowledging of the territory, which was, I don't know, from hearing what you say, you are probably a Norwegian politician could say something similar, but we're then touching up, thing, up on something very, uh, the, the, the question of property then is, uh, is a key issue here. Uh, yeah, and, it's, it's and a concrete cost, sorry. isn't it? That yeah. there's that, um, like, I, I, I get that what you said earlier, Bord, that if, if, Kevin Rudd had, you know, uh, finished the speech and said, you know, and for each person who was removed, they're going to receive an ex gratia payment of, you know, $10,000. You know, it, that's totally the wrong mood. But he, he could have said something like, you know, we resolve that the injustices of the past must never, never happen again. Uh, we resolve that within the, um, within the term of this parliament, we will um, uh, explore appropriate reparation for those who have yeah, been victims absolutely. of this gross injustice you know yes but he didn't say that and you know in like so with my own children when they were little um teaching them how to say sorry you know we, we tried to give them a set of words you know i'm sorry for and then you had to say what you were sorry for um uh and then and then they they had to say will you forgive me okay so that was the pattern i'm sorry for what will you forgive me and the, the two parts were, I mean, there's the, the acknowledgement, and we've spoken about the acknowledgement. This is trying to avoid the, you know, say sorry to your sister. Sorry. You know, you, you, <laughs> you want to get away, away from that. You know? So we're, we're trying as parents. But the, so the acknowledgement, but then the will you forgive me, it is that moment of extreme vulnerability. Um, that, that is a significant part of the repentance thing. It's like, I put myself in your power. Um, I can't, I can't say I forgive myself. That's, that's not a legitimate speech act. Um, so forgiveness needs to be offered so I can ask for it. But until you respond, then I'm totally at your mercy. And that's, that seems missing here, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't know how, well, the, the politics of doing it. Um, I don't know how you would, you would do that. But, you know, um, one of our theologians here, Peter Adam, has, uh, has thought and written a lot about uh, Indigenous relations. And he, he has the line, he says that every interaction about Indigenous affairs between um, uh, settler Australians and the Indigenous community needs to begin with the question, do you want us to leave? And he, he makes the point that, um, of course, it's not really going to be possible um, for settler Australians to leave. Um, uh, but he says that that's where the conversation needs to start. Um, and, and then we work through the difficulty 
uh, of that. If the answer is yes, then okay, we're in a difficult situation because I don't think we're going to be able to. Um, I mean, for many Indigenous um, Australians, the answer is no. We don't. We don't want you to leave, but you know. So, the, but but something of that sense of we acknowledge this and we say sorry. Um, and I think, Board, you've written on this of of that sort of question. Uh, uh, now, what do you want us? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Yeah. Rather than this this apology is saying, and now this is what we want you to do, and then. Of course, now we're going to have this grand future. Um, and it, uh, so, uh, you know, when you ask the question, what was the cost to, um, to the Australian government um, of, uh, of making this apology? Um, there's, there's a cost in, in acknowledging, and, and, uh, and I believe there is that personal um, uh, uh, cost of, of acknowledging that. There's a lot of political credibility that he gained as a result. And heck, here we are talking about his speech many years later. Um, but in terms of the, the the structural cost to the Australian government and to the Australian people, um, it was well. You can understand why people would dismiss it as it was just words, and the situation hasn't changed. Hmm. But you know, but you, young, young young Indigenous people are still uh, uh, incarcerated at twenty times the rate of Indigenous of non Indigenous Australians. The life expectancy of uh, Indigenous Australians is still uh, uh, nine years uh, less than non-Indigenous. You know, so so there's all these uh, enduring uh, problems that certainly weren't solved by this uh, this apology. I think I think what you point at is is a very um, interesting uh, paradox, namely the difference between a personal apology and a political apology and I don't think you can solve the tension between the twos uh, because you, you can you can you can ask the question do you want us to leave but it's an irreal question it's a it's not a real one and, and it's also unclear who is us exactly yes. and, and it's 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 point that so the 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 um the drama of the speech in a political apology, is uh, has other um, hinges. It, it hinges on other sort of um, uh, coordinates in, in 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 drawing up the map, and the key words are are different than than existential personal relations, and because this is this is um, for, for example. Uh, um, Take the the uh, the, um, the the question of legislation. It, the government is not allowed to to give binding legislation in a in a post Rousseau or Montesquieu world. It's it's they they are they are given to Parliament, but Parliament cannot state an, an official apology themselves. So. It's a complicated in the structure itself that democracy is so, and and then you have of course the 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 great problem. What about what about the majority of the people? Do you need the majority of the people to 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 give certain um, sorries, so to speak? Yeah. So this is this is a comp and and I think the the uh, the danger for the apologizing. Prime Minister is to say too little, but it's also to say too much, to promise too much. It's, it's because his apology is in some sense surrogate. He's apologizing on behalf of something exactly. else and someone else. And mm -hmm. then if you go too far, uh, you, uh, you enter into an ethos that's not yours in some sense. Um, mm. I, I want to touch on another issue of the apology, and that's the fact that it's actually spoken out loud. And, and let's just contrast it with the critique that was directed at uh, the US President Barack Obama, because in, um, uh, the, on December 19th in 2009, he signed off uh, the Native American Apology Resolution, which mm -hmm. was part of a defense appropriation spending bill. 
And mm. the critique of that apology was that it was not said out loud. Uh, and there was no one to hear whether the apology given or the ones, one giving the apology really expressed some sort of uh, remorse and they, they were not drawing any attention to it. So mm. from the uh, uh, indigenous people, the indigenous communities in, in the US, they were really critical of this because it was sort of hidden away. Uh, so mm. and that's we touched upon this earlier, but the importance of this being moving from the private to the public or from the hidden to the open. And mm. it seems to me that from the videos you sent me, Graham, and from the mm. footage, people were sitting in the in the uh, in the open outside watching on big screens when this. Uh, apology was given. Yeah. Uh, of course, that was staged, one could say, but at, at the same time, it's it's really ceremonial. Yeah, and and you know, people people did turn out uh, for it. You know, so the speech because it because it had to be made in Parliament. That's a, I mean, that's a specific room. It's got visitors galleries, but it can't seat that many. So a certain number of their people there, but then it was. Um, uh, streamed also into then a much larger meeting room within the parliament building and then onto the front lawn of the parliament house where people gathered and then in capital cities around the country so uh, here in melbourne just down the road at federation square there were you know the big screens and people gathered um so yeah i i agree that um the 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 publicness of this it becomes an event um is pretty significant um and particularly, I hadn't hadn't known about the Obama thing, but uh, when you say it was a it was attached to an appro military appropriations bill, like I've watched enough West Wing to know that uh, this is these are the sorts of things that people throw in and they just say yes to it so that they can get their main agenda through, you know. So the implication that an apology to the Indigenous people is just something that we'll say yes to because we're being you know held over the fire on something that we really want. That's not a good look. No, but it's a bit like going back to your children, our children. It's it's if one of the children's were to say, "I have apologised. I've written a note. You can find it in the drawer yes. over there," and yeah, and, yeah. or I whispered it in the corner. Didn't you hear? Mm. Oh, that's your problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's um, but again, uh, there's a difference between the the perception of of going public. I I, I think the uh, what you mentioned for uh, about the 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 uh, the privacy of the hidden and the public of the the open speech it's a great difference and and uh, normally um uh, the at least in in the political culture in norway most uh, quest most important questions um concerning uh, economy for example economic questions they are solved at the back room backstage where mm -hmm. where people there's a there's a there's a there's um you know we had a social democratic um, um rule here with absolute majority in the parliament for 20 years and and they're saying used to be someone um uh, has had a word with another so that's so the policy is clear we, we don't have to debate it because it's it's settled before it's it's even opened. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, the the idea of a democracy leads to the the impression that things of 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 importance are um, treated in the open, and and that gives an, an impression of reality. And even if it's if it's not real in the sense of, of uh, economy or, or military dispositions or, or things like that, they, they matter. It, it is, it is of, of, a, of, a, of a real concern what is being said. And, and the, 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 I, I don't tap into this uh, uh, Eliza Doolittle words, 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 and they don't matter because they do. I think that's the, the most important thing with, with the postmodern identity politics is that words matter. It's a, it's a rhetorical dimension of, of, of reality. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but Graham, talking about words uh, which matter, uh, 
this speech was given in 2008. Uh, how mm. is it not received, but perceived today? Or mm. how has been, what's been the aftermath of that? You talk, talked a bit about this, but uh, yeah. sort of in, in, which speak, in which way did this speak, speech make Australia into what Australia is today, if you see what I'm asking? Yeah. 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 Well, one of the reasons it was time for the 26th of May is because uh, the 27th of May is another significant date in Australia's history. So that was what the anniversary of a national referendum in 1967 that um, uh, changed some references to Aboriginal people within the constitution. Um, uh, it, at, at the time was that sense of uh, acknowledging Aboriginal people as, as citizens that before then they they were counted in the census, but their, the number of Aboriginal people was not used to determine um, government policy or um, uh, distribution of resources or the assignment of, um, of, vote, of, of votes in the, in the parliament was based on the population of non-Indigenous Australians. So that was, that was a significant event, 27th of May, 1967. And then the, the 3rd of June, 1992, so that was the High Court uh, Mabo uh, decision, which is uh, where the High Court recognised uh, native title and, and the existence of, of native title and that terra nullius was a lie. So that week, 27th of May to the uh, 3rd of June, every year is Reconciliation Week. And then the 26th of May, the day before Reconciliation Week, is National Sorry Day. And so there are, there are events every year um, uh, with this sense and going back to Kevin Rudd's speech. So, so there, there is that enduring sort of mark on the Australian cultural landscape that, that has come uh, from this. And, and so the idea that a, an apology has been made does have that sense of, yes, we've done that and, and, that's, and that's a good thing. Um, the question is, was, was the apology the beginning of something new or was the, the apology an accomplishment of something that we can now move on from? And, and I, I think that in just the popular culture of Australia, there's a lot of people who would think, look, we've done this. Why are we still talking about this Aboriginal thing? We said, sorry, um, it's time to move on. You know, um, Where are my land rights? Like I'm an Indigenous Australian. I was born here. So that, that sort of uh, rhetoric you, you continue to hear. Uh, but, of course, the, the um, social disadvantage of Aboriginal people continues, um, uh, which I mentioned before. Now the movement has, has there's been a lot of talk about a treaty. Um, uh, so in contrast to Canada and New Zealand, where the English... Um, uh, colonised, they they signed treaties with the uh, with the local um, uh, uh, indigenous people. Um, one of the complications in Australia is that there's not there's not one uh, indigenous people group, um, but there are hundreds. So that that's the map on the wall behind me. This is a map of indigenous languages. So all the different coloured blots are, are a different language group. Um, ah. So. Uh, how do you write a treaty? You've got to choose what language you're going to write it in, and there are hundreds, you know. So it, it's very complicated, um, but there's still those moves for, so we need a treaty, we've got to do something. There's that the Uluru Statement from the Heart of 2017 calling for both a voice to parliament and a, a Makarata commission, which Makarata is a, a, an Aboriginal word which... Um, similar, similar sort of idea to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Mm. So wanting something that would continue to, to give that acknowledgement of not just stolen generations, but, but other aspects right. of uh, Indigenous experience. So, you know, the, the conversation continues. And so I think in that sense, this was a significant, it was a significant moment. Um, I think if the apology hadn't been made, I think we still would have been stuck back at that level of the process. Like if the, but, if the process of Indigenous reconciliation has got various steps in it, then, okay, yep, yeah, we've the, the apology or an apology for this particular thing that's been made um, and, and we can move on to other things. But we need to keep moving forward. That's the, that's the challenge. But uh, Graham, it's, it's an interesting um, 
part of what you're saying is the question, do you think um, like a national apology day or a sorry day or whatever you call it, mm. would that be, uh, could that be counterproductive for the actual um, action is it is it a is it a you know it, it, it because it's it reflects the 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 um approach from from uh the political left where i live namely if you if you uh, overload the children with with guilt about pollution then you create a certain res reservoir for for green action but but that might not be the case I, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's something that we think you know it's it's a good it's it's a good thing to remember um, things so we don't do them again. Mm, but, yeah. but 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 the political energy in it is is sort of unstable. Yeah, yeah, um, and I guess the 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 challenge I think is always what what do we do with these things moving forward. Um, uh, I don't think it's necessarily bad that we we do acknowledge that there's that there is this generational um, uh, hurt um, disadvantage that that continues. You know, um, I think it would have been different if, well, the apology didn't didn't change the fact that these things Happened. still happen. Yeah, you know, that that they happened, yes, and that the consequences of them uh, still happen. The consequences remain with us, mm -hmm. um, and there are other aspects of indigenous disadvantage that continue. So, an ongoing acknowledgement, I think, is is significant. Um, uh, but I think also connected with Reconciliation Week, which has more of that forward looking. Thing. So maybe there's a nice connection there when, when, when I stop to think about it. I haven't really articulated this to myself before, but that the, the acknowledgement of the past and the, and the moving from there into the future, I mean, that, that's a, a, a significant sort of spiritual move as well when you think about the lament and, and, and the praise, you know, that, that ability to be able to sit with and hold the pain and acknowledge that um, uh, and not sidestep it and pretend it didn't happen but neither to get stuck there um, uh, where where all we can do is is wail but the lament which acknowledges that and then takes hold of a promise um, then perhaps you've got a bit of that in sorry day and, and reconciliation week um, but i'm wondering graham uh, what we're discussing now is the whole liturgy of penance because this is sort of a national liturgy of uh, at least you're remembering a past which is not mm. heroic mm -hmm. so one thing for you as example here to talk about climate action would be to um, hear stories or speeches by, from the heroic side and not mm. uh, appealing to lament or, or moral guilt whereas here you uh, you remember, and there's some element here of making that moral guilt uh, alive again. If it was your personal moral guilt, it could be another year has been added and I've done things, I've thought things, uh, my misdeeds are there before me and I could confess yeah. them. Whereas yeah. with this sort of national liturgy, there has to be uh, of remembrance it has to be more about gaining a deeper understanding, so uh, of what it means today. But it, but but it's a tricky thing. This collective versus the personal, uh, and the yeah. surrogate versus the, the the me as the the actual yeah. perpetrator. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And by the way, I should add that when we say we we mark National Sorry Day and Reconciliation Week, it's like um, it's a day that's sort of declared. It's not a public holiday, um, and uh, there's no there's no compulsion nationally to to do things. Like if you're at a if you're at a government school, then you'll you'll be almost guaranteed to do something. Um, and even even in private schools, they would they would they would do something. 
Um, but, uh, um, you know, Australia Day is, is much more the enduring shape of Australian culture and Australia Day is the anniversary of the British uh, um, colonisation um, settlement in Sydney. And so, you know, um, that gets, people talk about that as Invasion Day and so there's uh, lots of, I mean, that's highly contested. But, you know, Australia Day, the 26th of January, it's summer, everybody's yeah. on the beach. Um, it's it's a great a day great day to be Australian and a day that you know most most people um, don't want to think about the negative things of history you know but it's really contested it's becoming much more of a political um, uh, issue to change the date um, that that's a big a big movement you know hashtag change the date um, hashtag invasion day um, and uh, and all that sort of thing so in terms of shaping the national psyche. Um, uh, you'd still be looking at Australia Day and Anzac Day. Um, they are the two big, they are the two big things. Anzac Day is the, the national sort of military um, uh, veterans day type thing. Um, uh, Anzac Day on the 26th of April, which uh, marks the uh, Gallipoli landings in the First World War, um, Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. So um, uh, they were part of the British um, uh, uh, invasion force. And uh, they were, they were, it was a terrible defeat. Um, uh, Gallipoli was a disaster of a military campaign. And, and that, that's the thing that um, becomes our National Military Day, this terrible military defeat. Although it's sort of told of the story of um, the, the brave and courageous Australian and New Zealanders were uh, sent to their slaughter by the Ponzi English um, uh, incompetent generals yeah. Um, and it was here was here was when Australia came of age, you know, and the Australian national character was sort of built. But um, but both those days are still two less heroic uh, events than yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but the, yeah, that's right. So the, the heroic thing is still very much that's probably more the dominant thing. Although I think that the 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 political uh, force is is shifting. There, there is more and more um, uh, move to uh, acknowledge things of the past, to uh, to be more productive, shift the national day away from um, uh, that day of colonisation, um, and uh, and find something that's going to be more productive um, uh, for the country. That Very quickly, you are before we have to end this. Yeah, yeah. The the it's just the, the use of history. I I I will as a historian I will. I will uh, like to point out that history also has a resistance in itself to being used. So it you, you can, and 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 um, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, uh, wrote a, a, a small booklet called "Why Study the Past," and one of his arguments, uh, where um, uh, one of his arguments was that. He, it is a strange land. It's mm. a, it's, it's. A, there's a strangeness to the past, and, and uh, well, I, as I understood him, there's, there's, um, there's uh, something unknown about it. It means that you cannot use it to the full extent, so to speak. You have to discover it again, and <clears throat> I think uh, that is also important to to know that there are moral limits as to how you can use it as as they say in practical theology constructively because it 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 has as a as a, its own thing uh, a resistance um okay so i i'll yeah, but then, then we'll we'll do another exercise then you all I, I totally get your point that we'll use the present to uh, look into the future which is also has some limits to it. But what do you think we will apologize for 50 years from now? Or what, what will our state leaders apologize for 50 years, 100 years from now? Because that's another exercise uh, with a, this potentially self-critical, of course, also political uh, view on the present situation. What sort of apologies, if any, will we have in the... Well, it's, it's, um, it's difficult because it's, when we review the past, it's it's always with 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 we are 
looking on it from the perspective of, of the present. And, uh, and, um, but I, as a farmer, I, and when I look into my cow's eyes, I, 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 I sort of, I can um, sort of um, feel a certain threat from the future that, that we are eating these uh, creatures that will not be looked upon with grace, I, I am afraid. So you expect that some of your grandson will then... Yes, well, you know, I, I have a certain sympathy with the, with the vegetarians. I'm not a vegetarian myself, and I probably will never be, but, but there are... There's um, the sacrifice of, of animals for feeding yeah. us. Mm. I, I don't think that is taken into account in, in modern society. I think it, more so in, in earlier days, but the industrial production of, yeah. of, of, of meat, I, I, I hardly think that we will, we will have a, a, a graceful um, review in, in 50 years. But Maybe of course, who do you apologize? Yeah. Sorry, Graham. Yeah. And maybe somebody's also going to be apologizing for Eurovision at some point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. No, but I mean, the question remains, how will it be received by the audience? That will be even more tricky when you when your grandson will apologize to your, your bulls. Uh, don't you think? Yeah. So with these... Uh, with looking into the bullseye here at the end, we, we end this episode of uh, the podcast, The Four Speeches. Thank you so much, Joel. And thank you to Graham Stanton from, uh, for joining us from Australia. This was another episode of the podcast, The Four Speeches.